1: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland. Joining me today, special guest, producer extraordinaire, musician, and all-around groovy dude, Noel. Welcome to the show.
2: Jonathan, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you today.
0: It was uh lovely. We actually recorded together yesterday for stuff they don't want you to know, which you you are a host of that show. A
2: co host, a yes. co host uh, along are, with a co hosts n- with
0: Matt Frederick and Ben Bolan. hmm and uh, you guys were very generous to have me on, and so I'm not as generous, so I only took one of you.
2: That's fair. We had a good time, though. We did a nice little Facebook Live thing where we talked about targeted ads and got all riled up and yep. then recorded a nice little podcast. It was fun.
0: Yeah, so if you guys uh, have been enjoying my series on on the problem with advertising online, you can think of the stuff they don't want you to know as sort of a sister podcast on that same topic. Some of the stuff we cover is similar, but it, we take a – uh because we have three other folks in there, you know, it's four people total. It, uh, ends up having a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of discussions. So and you we tend check that to out. go
2: a little dark at times. Yeah, it does. It gets a little dark. Um, but also fun, also yeah. light, you know, it's yeah. not all the dark side. I mean, it's, it's, it's life, right? Gotta have both. It's true. So one of the
0: things I like to do on the show is at the end of every episode, I invite you guys to send me requests, ideas, topics for future episodes and Today's episode is uh, due to that. So I'm going to read a little bit of listener mail. Doot doot. Eh, you know, we used to have a whole klaxon. All right, here he goes. Hey, tech stuff. First off, I want to thank you for putting out your content as I'm a huge fan of this casual learning movement. Might need a better term for that. I was wondering if you'd be able to do an episode on acoustics and sound dampening for studios, like how they're measured, tuned, made, etc. It would be awesome and spectacular as I would be able to harness the power to put together a kick-ass setup. Thanks again for what you do, Dubnosis. Well, Dub, (laughs) we're going to do that for you. And that's really the reason why I asked Noel to come in here, because Noel, as a, a producer and sound engineer type person, has had real-world experience with this. And so we're going to rely heavily upon his um perspective, uh, some of the stories he has to tell about the process of trying to make a room uh, more soundproof or tuning a room so that you're getting the sound you want while you're recording. Because as it turns out, sound is a pretty tricky thing. Uh, when you boil it down... Sound is vibration, right? It's just particles banging together, essentially. It's a whole thing you gotta wrangle. It is a thing you gotta wrangle. We often consider sound to just be this thing we perceive with our ears, but what's really happening is a little more granular than that. Sound is uh, particles that are moving, vibrating, uh, typically we're hearing things that are coming through over the air, like actual air around us. So you listening to this right now, you can hear my voice. Well, what's actually happening is that some speakers are vibrating some air molecules. And that is compressing and decompressing those molecules. It's it's changing the pressure, increasing and then decreasing the pressure at frequencies and amplitudes that your ears pick up and then you perceive as sound. So this is happening through all sorts of media, not just air. It can pass through solid matter. It can pass through liquid. And depending on how the particles are packed and and the space between them, sound may move better through one medium than through another. Now, knowing that sound can travel through different media, you also need to know that it can transfer from one medium to another medium. So, for example, if I'm shouting really, really loudly in a little room, some of that sound, when it makes contact with the wall, actually causes the wall to move. Now, it's not causing the wall to move a lot, but it is making the wall vibrate a little bit. Those vibrations get transferred through the wall to the other side. And that's why if you're in a place that has, you know, flimsy walls... You can hear someone in another room. The sound is actually transferring through.
2: Not to mention in the room itself, that sound is actually reflecting back at you and the quality of the sound can depend, can vary greatly depending on the material that the room is built out of or treated with.
0: Right, right. So some of the sounds getting uh, uh, transferred through the material. Some of the sound is being bounced back from the material toward you. Um, and a lot of that depends upon the the hardness of the material, like a really hard material is going to bounce a lot more sound back at you, which is why if you are in a large room with a lot of hard surfaces, you get that echoey sound. Um, or if you're out someplace like uh, at a canyon and you do a shout and you get that echo back, it's because the sound is going out, hitting the walls of the canyon, bouncing back to you, and that's when you get to experience that uh, effect. Well. Obviously, this means that if you want to create a place where the sound can't escape or leak into, and a lot of recording studios, you want both of those things, right? You don't want the sound from the studio to leak outward, but you also definitely don't want outside sound to leak in to the Very studio. Very important. Uh, then you have to figure out, well, how do we limit, how do we work within the physical uh, uh, constraints? of the way sound works so that we can limit that as much as possible and try to have the purest experience as we can. Um, so one thing you can remember is that sound, because it's a physical uh, activity and because it relies on, on energy, the way it works is that you've got a, a source of the sound. Sound tra- waves travel outward, concentrically outward from that source. And they get weaker as they travel out. That, that energy starts to dissipate. You can think of it kind of like, um, uh, you know, each, each time a particle has to bang up against another one to move it, some of that energy ends up getting lost. So the further away you are from a source of sound, the quieter it is. That's why that happens. Uh, so one way you can limit the way sound li- comes out of a room is you make an enormous room. Like you have a little room and a really big room. Um, but that's not necessarily the most practical approach.
2: Well, actually, there's a studio I used to intern at in Athens, Georgia, called Chase Park Transduction. And they essentially built their studio inside of a larger warehouse space. Mm-hmm. So they're renting a space in this strip of big, giant, very high ceiling warehouse spaces. But when you go into the studio, you're in the warehouse. But then there's a smaller basically building inside that warehouse that is the one that receives all the acoustic treatments. Right. But it's like you said, I mean, that is one way of dealing with it is is air.
0: Yeah. The the room within a room approach is often how it's referred to. And sometimes it is not as obvious as that. Like, it may be that uh, it looks like the 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 room you're walking into might be like it's it's in a little uh, alcove or hallway, but that hallway is actually showing where the the walls are where there's an air gap between the two walls to to mitigate any sound coming into the space. Sure.
2: Even this uh, glass window that we have in the booth that we're recording in right now, it's a double-paned window. Mm-hmm. So in between these two relatively thick pieces of glass is a little layer of air, right. which in and of itself acts as a bit of a sound-dampening insulation device.
0: Right. Exactly. So uh, some other little elements of sound that we need to remember. There are two main components to a sound wave that are important to keep in mind. One is amplitude or volume. So if you are looking at uh, the the way we typically show a sound wave, which is on like an X versus Y graph, uh, you know, those those sine wave style graphs, the height and depth of the troughs, that represents the amplitude, how loud mm-hmm. the sound is. Then you have the frequency of sound, the number of times uh, sound uh, cycles within a second, that determines the pitch of a sound.
2: So a low frequency obviously would be a l- perceived as a lower, deeper note or tone, and a high frequency with those uh, peaks and troughs moving gradually more closer together is going to be perceived as a higher pitch. Right. Uh, a good way to think about this, too, is if anyone's familiar with the instrument, the theremin. There are two controls on a theremin. One is the antenna that goes upward, and there's an antenna on the side. Uh, the antenna on the side, you use your hand... By moving it closer to or farther away, you are changing the amplitude, and that's perceived as a change in volume. The antenna going up, as you move your hand closer to it or farther away, you are changing the frequency. So with those two controls, you can basically shape the way the sound is perceived.
0: Right. And it's important to remember these things because, uh, as it turns out, different approaches to soundproofing are effective for different frequencies. Definitely. Right? So there might be one that you're like, oh... This is this is perfect. I I can't hear my neighbors anymore, but then it turns out that when your neighbors put on a an album that has a lot of bass in it, it comes right through.
2: Or start yelling at each other for whatever reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, if the amplitude is loud enough, it may be that your soundproofing isn't going to be uh, uh, uh also useful. when people
2: yell sometimes they tend to raise the, oh, right, right, right. Well the pitch all right 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 the pitch
0: goes thing. up enough but i gotcha yeah so these are things that you have to take into consideration if you're trying to soundproof and obviously what you are trying to accomplish like the, the reason why you're soundproofing that'll play into it as well because if all you're trying to do is just make it quieter so that you know you don't have like you're designing a building maybe it's a hotel. And you want to make sure that the, the people talking in one room doesn't bleed over into other rooms. Mm-hmm. That's one type of soundproofing. If you're trying to make a professional recording studio, that's another type. Yeah, where- from
2: a construction standpoint, like the base level soundproofing is drywall. So you have drywall and that is where if you're in a hotel that only uses drywall, people are going to be able to hear every single thing that's going on next door. Right. It's when you start basically stuffing that drywall with other denser materials or, you know, highly rated soundproofing materials. That's when you can really cut down on that transfer between the rooms.
0: Right. And also there are other, uh, some other techniques you can use as well that I'll get into that. And it's all about how do you make it harder for the sound to travel from one place to another? Because sound is going to travel no matter what. It's not like we have created a material that just uh, sucks up sound totally. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got a lot of materials that resist vibration, and that means that they don't transfer sound very well. But uh, and in fact, the studio has some of that around us. But, you know, there's other stuff you have to take into consideration as well. Now, there are four general elements to soundproofing, and we've, we've kind of touched on a, a few of them, but one of the big ones is called decoupling. Now, decoupling is a construction term. Uh, when you're talking about decoupling, you're talking about the way the walls of the soundproofed area are actually constructed. So you were just talking about drywall, the typical way a wall is constructed, is you've got studs, and attached to the studs are the anchor points for the drywall. And in a typical wall, the studs are connected on either side by drywall for one side of the wall and drywall for the other side of the wall. So the uh, in, if you can think of it like the interior wall versus the exterior wall of a room. The problem with that is that when sound hits the drywall, then sound can travel through the drywall, through the studs, which transmit sound, they're a pretty good conductor for sound, to the other side of the drywall and then you get sound bleeding out or you have sound bleeding in from the outside. So decoupling is a process where you would build a wall so that the studs don't touch both sides of the wall. Exactly. You would have a series of studs that one side, the interior wall, are attached to and a different series of studs that the exterior wall are attached to. They both extend
2: well into
0: the gap
2: between the two walls but they don't touch the other side so one side could be receiving sound waves and potentially transfer those but since they're not touching it's much more difficult for that to happen
0: right because air is not as good a conductor of sound as a solid object is which is weird
2: you wouldn't think that because i mean here we are in a room talking to each other right and the air is basically what's connecting us but
0: the interesting thing though is that the way you can tell this it's very easy way to tell it's the old kid game of a telephone where you get two cans and a string right Mm -hmm. you you uh punch holes in the bottom of the cans you run the string through the holes you stretch it taut and then you can whisper into one can and hear it on the other side but if you whisper that same volume across the room you can't hear it right So, uh, again, that shows that the, the physical media is actually more, or medium, I should say, is actually more, uh, efficient at transferring the sound than, than air is. So air pockets are actually really important when you're soundproofing, you know, designing a soundproof room. Um, typically you would pair decoupling with some of the other, uh, elements. And I'll go ahead and mention what those elements are. And then we'll talk more about how you would put it all together. So you've got, uh, absorption. Another important element. This is uh, obviously using a material that uh, slows down sound. Uh, It absorbs some of the sound so that sound essentially loses some of its energy and it thus is uh, quieter. It doesn't, it doesn't leak out as much because the amplitude gets reduced as a result. Uh, So absorption you achieve usually through using some sort of insulation material like um, I mean, fiberglass is a simple example where you would put that in the wall, in the, in the gap between the two, uh,
2: sides of the wall, the two pieces of drywall. I saw one even saying denim. You can use different, like, fabric type materials. Yeah. Like cotton or something like the that. The
0: important thing is that whatever you use, you cannot pack too densely. Exactly. Because if it's too dense, that's gonna transfer sound and you're back to the same problem you were at before. And you also want to have, still have some air gap there, too. You don't want, the material to make contact completely through the, the gap, you would pack kind of like half of the gap, a little more than half of the gap, typically, with insulating material. You leave an air gap, and that really creates a great cushion for, for sound. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about how that can go wrong, though. Uh, decoupling in particular can make certain things um, a little more difficult. There's also damping, sound dampening. Uh this is where you use some sort of material that resists vibration. Uh so like the foam we have here, there's some we've got some dampening foam in here. But the typically you look at a lot of things like adhesives that are used to dampen sound. Um one of the ones I keep hearing about over and over is green glue. Mm. Green glue is I don't know about this. Yeah, so so it's very popular, particularly apparently in Canada, but uh it's popular along among soundproofing technicians. It is considered to be one of the most effective for the least amount of money solutions for sound dampening material. But typically, this would be a layer that would also be part of your wall that resists the uh, vibration of sound, and so it won't transfer sound as well. Um, It's, uh, again, uh, something that you would apply between two constrained layers. So it's it's not like you would coat this on the interior wall. That would be a bad idea. It would be on the, uh, the, the backside of the interior wall. Well, it might
2: the, even be something you could use as an adhesive for other yeah, sound dampening materials exactly. like acoustic foam or tile.
0: And then the last element is really the simplest, uh, is mass. It's just that heavier things are harder to move than lighter things, right? That's just the basic idea. Like if, if you had a cart filled with concrete blocks, it would be a little heavy to push. But if you had that same cart and it was filled with feathers, it's easy to push.
2: So I've got something for you Yeah. It uses all of those elements in a pretty perfect example, one of the more perfect examples of soundproofing that we can see in the real world. Um, I'm not sure. I think Microsoft has maybe outdone them at this point, but there is a place in Minneapolis, Minnesota called Orfield Laboratories, and it contains um, what was, I believe, again until recently, the world's most silent room. Uh, Ah, yes. World record for the most silent room. It is 99.99% sound absorbent. And in order to accomplish this, it uses a combination of very, very, very thick, heavy materials. It's got concrete walls, Mm -hmm. steel reinforcement. And then on the inside of the room, I'm looking at a picture right now, it has these alternating sort of thin-looking things. So you've got, like, three and then going um, from left to right and then three right next to it going vertically. And they alternate throughout every um, panel in this room. Um, and then even on the floor and the, what you stand on is a metal grate that goes on top of another series of these alternating um, little, little units. And apparently um the, the longest anyone has been able to stand being in this room alone with the lights out is 45 minutes because people start to hallucinate with right this level of, of silence.
0: I've, I've heard such things. It, it's the sort of thing, every time I hear it, I have the reaction that I think 99% of people have, which is, I bet I could go longer. Sure, of and, course. And of course, I'd probably be in there for like three minutes and be convinced I'd been in there for three hours. Because once you get to a point where something that you have taken for granted you know, just the ambient sounds that you can hear. Uh, once that's gone, that really does make a a big difference. And uh, it, it is a psychologically powerful experience, but I still kind of want to do it. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's a great way of of kind of summing up all of these elements. Now, if you want to really soundproof a room, the best thing to do is to incorporate as many of those as you possibly can because they're, different ones are good for different uh, parts of that frequency range we're talking about. So some of them are really good for those mid to high range frequencies. Some of them are a little better at the low frequencies. So obviously you want to have a good combination. Otherwise, you're going to have certain sounds come through, even if you've perfectly blocked the room for other ones. And that can be really frustrating. And there's
2: literally a cutoff or a threshold where if you looked on a graph that can show you what frequencies are happening, you could literally track, okay, at this frequency, now I can hear it. Yeah. It's that specific usually.
0: So kind of going back to to decoupling a little bit, the size of the air cavity between the two sides of the decoupled wall, uh, determines something called the resonant frequency of that. So here's the, here's one of the problems with decoupling. That air cavity ends up acting kind of like a spring, mm-hmm. right? So springs actually have a resonant frequency. And if you end up vibrating something at the resonant frequency, it causes that thing to vibrate very, very easily. Sure. The big example of this that everyone is familiar with is the crystal glass. Absolutely. The opera singer hitting that note that's the resonant frequency for it. And you can actually see the glass deform and ultimately break.
2: Now. Or even someone that can play those glasses where they fill it up with water and yes. run their finger around the rim. In order for it to start making that tone, it has to reach that resonant frequency. Exactly. Where it so, starts to basically self-oscillate.
0: Exactly. So, so here's the problem with the decoupled walls is that that air gap because it's acting like a spring uh, and because it can resonate. If it's not at the proper thickness for the air cap, that resonant frequency may be within the range of sounds that you're going to generate either inside or outside the room within the range of human hearing, which means they're going to impact that soundproofing. And mm-hmm. if something actually... Is played at that frequency, it'll go. Not only will it go through the wall, it'll go through the wall more easily than it would have if you hadn't decoupled the wall because Got that it. resonance. Uh, so that is one of the things you actually have to take into account. And one of the the solutions to that is don't make it too thin of an air gap. Um, so another way of of experimenting this with this yourself, uh, if you want to just have some fun and by fun i mean like you know mr wizard style fun you get a a bottle and you know if you blow across the 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 opening of the bottle it produces a tone well it doesn't matter how hard you blow it's always going to play that one tone but if you add water to the bottle, you have decreased the volume of air the bottle can hold, and that changes the tone. Again,
2: back to the glasses; they, uh, they could have you know the same size glasses, but they generate different tones from each one by putting a different l- amount of water in each
0: one. Right, right. It's not just the size of the glass, but how much liquid is in the glass. So what you would love like to do is make sure that uh, your soundproofing um, technique was going to take care of those maybe mid to high range. Uh, frequencies and then make sure that the air gap would push would resonate at one of those frequencies so that the other elements of your soundproofing take care of it and it doesn't pass through if your resonant frequency is too low and you didn't really protect against that it's going to pass right on in uh, so there's also something called the triple leaf effect and i had to look this up in a couple different locations to find out what the triple leaf effect is because i don't know if you know this noel I haven't built any houses recently. That's fair. So the triple leaf effect is all about a a construction of a wall, like a drywall. And they refer to each sheet of drywall as a leaf. Sure. So you've got the interior wall. That is one leaf. You've got the exterior wall. That is a second leaf. In a triple leaf approach, you actually have a third sheet of, of uh, drywall that's in between the two. It's inside the the
2: wall it's further compartmentalizing it essentially
0: right and uh and you might do this and think oh well that's going to end up protecting against sound even better not necessarily no. um it actually can cause a problem because it can create if the air cavity between the the middle leaf and one side is too small it can create those resonance problems. So people actually refer to it as the triple leaf problem. So this um, is not
2: necessarily a technique you want to go for. This is describing a problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there are soundproof technicians who say if you have a triple leaf wall and you're having these resonant issues, the the solution is actually to tear open the wall, remove that triple leaf, that, that third sheet of drywall, the one that's in between the other two, take that out. And then it will create a thicker air gap between the two sides, and that will end up changing the resonance problem.
2: I guess I could see that. I mean, it does introduce more of a variable into the equation and as opposed to just having two – having a third one there. There is more ways the sound could potentially bounce around or catch that resonant frequency.
0: Right. And, you know, um, we talked a little bit about echo and about how sound
2: can bounce off of hard surfaces. We talk about the bunny men.
0: No, we didn't talk about the Bunny men.
2: You know they're playing in Atlanta soon.
0: Are they really? Yeah. Oh wow. Let's I, go. I would much prefer to see them than insane clown posse. Well,
2: you you already missed insane clown posse. I know that they was, played earlier this week. That was yesterday, or day before.
0: Day before yesterday. Yeah, I actually wanted to invite them over so we could explain how magnets work. But that's uh that's neither here nor there. No, they know in their heart. <laughs> I hope so. Well, you know, they made a whole video about it. Uh, but the, the echoes can be an issue, obviously, in recording studios, things like that. You don't want there to be, you, if there's gonna be any echo, you want it to be there on purpose, not because of just, that's the way the room was built. Uh, same here for our studio. We don't want too much echo here, and we are in a building that's made out of concrete. Mm-hmm. Now, that, in some ways that's good, because it helps dampen sound from other areas, unless something is making direct contact with the concrete. Then we can all hear it everywhere. Like whenever there's construction going on, you can hear it move through the concrete columns and floors and ceilings. Like a gremlin. It is disturbing. Very strange. We play the game... What construction equipment do you think that is?
2: <laughs> and sometimes you just don't know because the sound can mutate based on what it's vibrating to. You know, you right. might, it might be a little drill that's vibrating a giant piece right. of metal and then that's vibrating something else. And by the time it gets to us, it sounds like there's a giant right. playing hopscotch upstairs. Yeah, you
0: know? it, it could be a little distracting. Fortunately, uh, most of the the spaces in in the building we're in now have been built out because when we moved into this building, we were one of the first offices here. It was bad. Yeah. And that just meant that we had construction noises pretty much consistently throughout the whole experience. So that has been reduced dramatically over time. But um, one of the other things is that, you know, we when, since we have all this concrete, we have to figure out how to eliminate that echo. And the way you do that is typically by putting softer material on top of the harder material. And that that again, dampens the echo. So, uh, uh you know, if you if you have a castle, you probably are hanging tapestries for a couple of reasons. One, it acts like an, insul- an insulator, so you don't lose as much heat in those cold winters. And two, when you're screaming at your servants because uh your food isn't on the table when the bad guys are attacking your castle. There's me mutton. Yeah, you want you don't want that to echo throughout the castle unless you're a villain. Which I know case, when you know, I'm
2: decorating my castle, I tend to go with tapestries.
0: I do, so. I do too. Uh, I, I'm I'm tapestry heavy when I do that. Um, but it's it's sort of stuff you can do inside, like a home studio too. You can hang, uh uh, fabric heavy fabric to help sure. kind of like a that theater
2: stuff. style curtain is yeah. excellent. Not only because of its of what it's the denseness of it, it bunches up like so you can kind of squeeze it together where it creates these natural kind of ripples, which not only absorb the sound, they sort of diffuse it a little bit in the same way what I was describing with that world's quietest room, these alternating patterns of material that have little spaces in between them, they act as a diffuser for the sound.
0: Right. And there's there's one other thing that we can talk about, or I'll, I'll briefly mention, which is sound cancellation. That's a little different from soundproofing. Actually, in a way, it's the opposite because you actually have to create sound with sound cancellation. The way sound cancellation works is if you were to look at that, that uh, graphic representation of a sound wave, let's say it's a steady tone because that's the easiest way to imagine it. So it's a stay tone at, I don't know, 300 hertz, and you're looking at a 300 hertz sine wave and you see where the peaks and troughs are. If you were to uh, create a, uh, a complementary sine wave mm-hmm. where it is out of phase, so the peaks and troughs match up with the troughs and peaks, then they cancel each other out. That's the crazy thing about sound, because you typically think if you add more sound to sound, it just gets louder. Like if you've ever been in a restaurant that has lots of hard surfaces, it becomes really difficult to have a conversation if it's a busy night because everyone everyone starts to talk over everyone else and it just kind of echoes. Well, it turns out that if you do add sound to sound, but you make sure it's out of phase, it cancels it. And then it's as if there's no sound at all. That's what noise canceling headphones do. They create a sound, they, they detect the incoming sound waves, they create, uh, complementary sound waves that phase that out, and then you get silence as a result.
2: So an example of that phenomenon that you don't want that actually has to be corrected, if you're in a recording studio, and let's say you're recording an acoustic guitar and you want to mic it in two places. So you might put a mic on the, um, the sound hole of the acoustic guitar, then mm-hmm. you might want to put a mic a little further up on the neck somewhere. If those mics, since they're recording, The same signal, essentially, but they're spaced apart. There is the potential for phase issues Mm. between those two mics. So while it's not going to straight up cancel out the sound it's going to change the quality of the sound in a way that you might not like it might make it tinnier or it might give it almost like a, one of those phaser kind of a jet engine psychedelic guitar type sound you know right. like, woo, 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 you know where it's mm-hmm. filtered through that sound um, so what you have to do is you can you, you can correct this after the fact, but there are devices that you actually can test the phase at the point you're recording and then space the mics apart. Accordingly, and there's even ways to like adjust the phase using these devices. So it's interesting how what you're describing is sort of a practical use of this phenomenon. And then there are also versions of it that happen in a recording situation that you actually have to be careful.
0: Right. You have to correct for.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, so for, for soundproofing, there are a couple of different, uh, measuring systems to determine how soundproofed a room is. And they may or may not be useful to you if you are trying to do something like create a recording studio. Uh, so, for example, in the United States, uh, we typically use something called the sound transmission class to explain how soundproofed a room is. And that's really a measurement of how well sound within the ranges of human voices travels through walls. So sounds outside of those frequencies... It, sound transmission class isn't concerned with them because it's really more about building walls so that sound doesn't pass or walls and floors and ceilings, not just walls, but all the, all the surfaces so that sound does not pass easily through one, uh, and into another. This would be like what hotels would be really concerned with or people who are building homes. Um, that range, by the way, is about 125 hertz to 4000 hertz or four kilohertz uh that's the that's the typical range of frequencies of the human voice so that's really what sound transmission class is concerned with and it's designated by a number and the, in general the higher the number the better the quality of soundproofing is so if you were in a room that has like a really kind of lousy drywall partition it doesn't have a whole lot of uh you know like it doesn't have that that absorption insulation or anything like that uh the number might be somewhere around 20 but let's say you're in a high-end hotel that has taken great pains to create decoupled walls with good absorption insulation, some uh maybe some dampening material in there too. Uh that might be closer to 60. And so the higher number designates that it's more soundproofed than the other one, but again, for that given range of frequencies, the stuff outside of that maybe not so much. Uh outside of the United States, People tend to use what's called the sound reduction index. Uh, it's, it's the SRI. So that rating tells you how many decibels in reduction the material will provide. So if a sound is a certain amplitude, a certain amount of decibels, which by the way is not a, not a, uh, it, it's a logarithmic scale. So it's pretty complicated, but it, it'll tell you how many decibels it'll reduce a sound that is generated from one space and into an adjoining space. Um, it's dependent also upon frequencies, because some are designed to, it's, it's something that's specifically designed to cut out those mid to high range frequencies, but it won't necessarily, uh, like that material won't necessarily cut out low frequencies. So if you get this SRI number, you have to also ask, well, what, what range of frequencies is that for? Because it's not a blanket statement. It's not saying that any sound at any decibel will be reduced this amount. Then you finally have noise reduction coefficient. Uh, so this tells you how much sound a material can absorb versus reflect. Um, it's, it's expressed as a percentage. So really the percentage that you're looking at is the percentage of sound absorbed by that material. A carpet with a rubber underlay might have a 0. 0.4 rating. For example, that means it would absorb 40% of the sound that hits it reflecting back 60%. Um, like a hard concrete wall might be a 0. 0. 005 Meaning it absorbs only 5% of the sound that hits it and 95% gets reflected back. So, uh, those are, those are how you would, you know, that's like the metrics you would use. You would use actual instrumentation to detect how the sound is, uh, reverberating in the room. And you would, you know, obviously use things like microphones and stuff outside of a room to detect if there's any sound leaking out. There are also some things you gotta take into account. Um, some natural weak spots. If the room has a vent in it, which you kind of hope it will, because otherwise things get real stuffy real fast, uh, the vent also may need to be treated. Mm -hmm. Ideally, the vent will be treated with some of this material to dampen some of the sound. Otherwise... It's just a conduit for sound to travel through.
2: Yeah, so the room we're recording in right now, it was built out for us with some of these specs in mind. Um, we, we chose the material based on the rating, and we went with, obviously, a higher number. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this glass window that I was telling you about earlier, that's specifically designed for a studio-type environment. And what we have on the walls in here are similar to the layout of that world's quietest room I was talking about, except these are acoustic tiles that are made up of their squares, and they're made up of uh, strips in – a single direction, but the panels are alternating. So we have one where they're facing up and down, the one next to it, they're going left to right, et cetera, and they alternate, and that helps break up the sound and, um, you know, make it a more uh, dampened sound within the room and keep the sound from escaping as well. But we actually do have a vent in this room, and it's not particularly well treated. So what I actually end up having to do is use a very nifty, bundle of software to take a print of the room tone so you can there's a base level where if Jonathan and I were quiet right now you'd probably and we sent this out without running this process you would hear that base level room tone air conditioning sound whatever so what I can do with the software is analyze 30 seconds a minute the longer the better of that baseline sound then the computer analyzes that and then I apply it to the whole audio file and it gets rid of it, and there's no artifacting at all. When I say artifacting, I mean there's no digital debris left over where you can hear, oh, here's the the sound of the effect working. It's completely transparent, and this suite of software is about $2,000.
0: Right. It's a really good job. There are a lot of uh, software packages out there that that attempt to do something similar to that, like uh, Audacity has the noise removal tool, which is a very similar thing. It's looking at specific frequencies, and then it looks through the entire track Those frequencies to remove those problem is, of course, that if you have other stuff laid on top of it, audacity doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily able to go in and remove just the Mm -hmm. stuff that you want removed and leave everything else untouched.
2: So, uh, well, my experience with things like this has, has always been, no, it doesn't work. You can always tell. You can always hear it kicking in or whatever. But just in case anyone's interested, the software I'm talking about is by a company called Isotope and it's a package called RX Advance. And it's a suite that has multiple, um, little modules that can do different things. Like let's say you're picking up a hum or some kind of radio interference. It can isolate things like that. But the one I always use to get rid of that air conditioning noise is, uh, it's called Denoiser and it, it's, it's fantastic. Cool.
0: And the other thing that you have to worry about besides the vents are obviously doors. You want to have make sure that your doors have proper ceiling all around it. Sealing, S-E-A-L, that kind of seal.
2: Yeah, like in a recording studio control room, you might see a door that has a heavy rubber um, strip on the bottom of it <laughs> that when you close it, it literally makes a seal between the door jamb and the bottom of the door. Right. So it's airtight.
0: Yeah, because otherwise – Sound will just travel underneath. Right underneath it. Yeah. You have
2: a gap. You've done all this other work and then you have a gap in the bottom of your door. Yeah. You might as well have done nothing.
0: Right. It's it's not gonna it's not gonna give you the result you want. So Noel, you know, we were talking before we started recording that uh, you know, the the concept of making sure the sound within a room sounds right. Mm-hmm. And this goes beyond soundproofing, but it was also part of of the question sent in to us. Working remotely. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So walk us through kind of the the process. If you were setting up, say, a recording studio for uh, for music, yeah. that would be obviously you would want to make sure that everything is, is just right to capture the music as the artist intended. Right. You know, you might do some alteration on it on the back end, but you want it captured as pure as possible at the recording session.
2: Yeah, this, this goes into kind of recording philosophy in some ways some people might want more of a live room that has mm. some character some nice acoustics or something like that and for certain things like say recording a vocal you might want a room with as little character as possible so you're just getting the quality of that voice through that really nice microphone and microphone preamplifier, which is what you plug the microphone in that kind of boosts that signal and um, makes it um, audible and makes it at a level that can then be recorded into the computer or a tape machine or what have you. Um, so that's one way of looking at it. Like for a, a quiet room, like a, a completely dead sound booth, let's say. Right. Um, then you might have. Uh, different little tricks you can do, like so at a drum room, for example, there are ways you can um, use panels of wood on the floor, you might take a strip of wood and place it right underneath the kick drum, the bass drum, and have a microphone kind of at the end of that. So you're the sound of the drums are sort of reflecting off of that wood and creating kind of a cool diffuse uh, room sound. So mm. you, when you mic drums, you're micing them up close, you're putting a microphone right up on the tom-tom or the snare or the kick, and then a lot of times people will mix in the sound of the room, which is the whole kit, and then kind of blend those signals together so you get that direct sound, but you also get this nice roomy tone. So in that situation, you might want a little character in your room, and you might use things like I'm talking about these strips or, or what have you to achieve some sort of character – now, let's say we're talking about a control room, which is where you're going to be mixing your your music. Mm-hmm. So you have really high-end, very nice, high-fidelity studio monitors, which gives you your playback. And, you know, the best studio monitors are considered to be very um flat. That's, that's the word that's used where the frequency response isn't particularly... It's not. It's not messed with on the speaker side. So everything that's coming out of there, you know, is going to be accurate based on what you're doing, what you're putting into it, the um, Mm -hmm. frequencies you're adjusting on your mixing console or in your computer. The the monitors themselves aren't imparting any tone or quality in beyond what you're doing to it.
0: Right. They're they're just they're just neutral. And only presenting right. the stuff that you've told it to. Right.
2: I mean, a lot of times they're referred to as reference monitors mm. because you, the idea is, and it's not always the case, um, that the way it sounds on those monitors, it's going to sound like that a- anywhere you play it. Obviously, there are things that happen after you finish a record called mastering where you, you kind of adjust to account for different types of systems that it might be played on to make sure it sounds as good as possible on any system. Sure. But in a control room, When you're playing back your music, you don't want bad reflections. You don't want that sound coming out of the speakers to bounce back at you in a way that changes the quality of that sound. You want it to be as flat and clean as possible. So there are little extra touches you could put in a control room that absorb certain frequencies like what you said, certain materials will absorb certain frequencies better. There are things you might put in the back corners of the room that fill up a corner where two walls meet called bass traps. And They are these kind of tall, they can be round or squared off. Um, and They're made of kind of dense fiberglass material covered in a a particular type of fabric. And those absorb some of those bass frequencies so that it's not bouncing back at you and muddying up your mix. Right. Then you might have, a lot of times you'll see in a recording studio, in the control room uh where you have your big mixing console and then directly behind it against the wall, a lot of times there's a couch. And then above that couch, there might be a weird-looking wooden panel that has smaller arrays of these alternating little um, tiles, sort of like what I described we have in our room here, but smaller and, and a little more dense. And those are designed to do different things to other frequencies like the mid-range or the high. Um, another thing that's really important in uh, these control room settings is where the monitor speakers are placed. So what you might do is have an engineer um, that specializes in, you know, do, building out recording studios and tuning the room, that is what they call it, go in there and use a device that, that measures the way frequencies bounce around the room and you would generate what's called a test tone or uh, some white noise even, um, which is just like, you know, static kind of sound. And then you can use this device, this handheld device. It might be hooked up to a computer. There's lots of different ones um, that will then take a print and analyze, okay, this is what the sound's doing. This is where this room needs some work, where we need to move the monitors a little further away or a little closer to the wall, et cetera. So that's just a few of the ways that you can... um affect how the sound is actually heard within a room for different situations, whether you're recording, whether you're mixing and listening. It's all about uh, th- 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 there are different scenarios that require different treatments.
0: Sure. And and anyone who's listened to, you know, live albums versus uh, studio albums or for me, even just with classical music, like if you ever listen to a classical piece that was recorded in a big sound studio where, you know, they got the whole orchestra in there. It can sound really amazing. But then if you hear the same sort of thing, but it's played in a concert hall, even without an audience, the effect is is measurably different. You get that character you were talking about of the space and different spaces have very different characters, just as musicians may have a favorite type of uh, amplifier that they like to use because of the tone that it helps uh, the, the the tones that it accentuates versus the ones that it doesn't accentuate as much. Uh, you, you have the same sort of stuff with these, these rooms. Now, Noel, let me ask you this. Let's say that some of our listeners out there are wanting to set up like a little home recording area. Maybe they want to do podcasting. Maybe they want to record some acoustic music. Nothing too complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be some general guidelines you would give somebody who wants to set up a, a space in their house meant for recording. Like what were, what would just be some general tips? Not like the super, like, you're gonna go and remodel your home kind of approach, but, but more simple ways that you can at least, uh, limit problems with sound from exterior sources or, uh, uh, interference with the sound that you're creating in the room. What are some of your, uh, tips you would give?
2: I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can, um, make spaces in your home work, and it all depends on what kind of music you're trying to record. Um, so the choice of microphone would make a big difference, for example. So the microphones that we use in the podcast studio are what are called dynamic microphones, and we've talked about this in a past episode, I believe. Um, they tend to record best things that are very close to them and don't necessarily pick up as much ambient room sound as what's called a condenser microphone would. Now, some might be- say that a condenser microphone gives a richer, bigger sound, but it also depends on how you use it um so i might recommend for recording uh vocals trying to go with like get a really nice dynamic microphone like yeah. one of these uh, sure sm7b microphones we use and they're you know they're about 300 bucks they're not cheap but um they allow you to record uh in much closer proximity so if you're recording a guitar for example through an amplifier you put it right up next to that amplifier and crank it so that it's not recording the signal to noise ratio is what's called is in favor of the signal. So the sound of the amplifier is uh, the, the the main concern. There's really no worry about recording any room tone. And you don't even have to crank the amp up that high because the mic is so close. Right. But in terms of little things you can do for dampening, I mean Get get a pack of egg crate or, like, some acoustic tiles from Oralex, you know, and it's not cheap either, but then just make some little clusters, you know, make a few little squares on your wall if you can. Like, if you have a closet door, maybe put three or four panels and then record facing that, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, There are also these shields you can get. That you can attach to your mic stand. It basically is like a um, almost a, like a half moon shaped shield that goes behind the microphone. So you're facing it and that cuts down on reflections. Um, there are lots of little tricks like that that you can do. But at the end of the day, um, it's just about how you use the stuff that you have uh, for podcasting. Definitely go with a dynamic microphone. Talk very close to it so yeah. that it's only getting your voice and it's not recording your cats or the sound of your air conditioning, right. things like that. Um, the lower you can turn up the mic and still get a really good signal, the better off you are. Because if you have to crank it up really high, you're really far away from the mic, you're going pick, to be picking up a whole lot of that room sound.
0: Yeah, I uh, I can tell you from experience, I record a couple of shows from home uh, just for fun that, that aren't work-related and i used to use a condenser mic cuz they were they were easy uh, i had a usb condenser mic um, and and there's nothing wrong with the mics uh, i'll even tell you i had a a blue snowball for a while yeah. and we have one here sure. we we've used it occasionally mostly to connect through skype or whatever we don't record through it but we use it to to pick up our voices so people on the other end can hear us um and i also had a blue yeti microphone both of them are great i love them but uh for podcasting Like you were saying, they pick up pretty much everything. And in fact, if you were to go back and listen to some of those podcasts I did, you would hear like, what's that weird clicking noise I'm hearing in the background? And that clicking noise would have been my dog's toenails clicking against the hardwood floor as as he just ran across the floor. And he wasn't making any other noise. It's just click, 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 click. But that condenser mic picked up
2: everything. And it all comes back to what we talked about, sound being sort of this organic thing that moves. I mean, you're never going to completely get rid of every bit of room noise unless you are going above and beyond. Like you're going
0: to that crazy world's most silent
2: room approach. But you can mitigate how much of the sounds you don't want are recorded Mm -hmm. based on where you set up the mic you want to be as far away from any noisy sources as possible you certainly wouldn't want to record a podcast right next to your fridge yeah
0: if you you have an option uh if you have an internal room where it doesn't share an external wall Mm -hmm. that would be a good choice um like like the place where my microphone is set up i don't have a room that's all of my rooms face outward one way or the other So I don't have a room that I can, that is, that is isolated where I could record from. Uh, so my, mine is uh, not ideal because I also live across the street from, um, railroad tracks Mm -hmm. and MARTA tracks, uh, and a, a busy road. So I'm just fortunate that when my house was being built, they built it with that in mind. They were building the external walls so that they would dampen that sound as much as possible because the, the home builders knew, well, we're right next to some train tracks, so we have to take that into account when we're designing this. And fortunately, it doesn't often impact my recording. Once in a blue moon, if there's a freight train going by, blasting its horn, you're gonna hear it. But otherwise, it, it doesn't come through.
2: So just to wrap up on this whole, you know, home podcast set up, I can give you a really good practical example. Uh, our show Stuff You Missed in History Class um, the hosts live in different cities Holly Fry lives here in Atlanta and records in our studios and Tracy Wilson lives in Boston and records from her home. And so when she was getting ready to move, we had to figure out how we were going to set this up. So I kind of looked into it and did some research and, and recommended what to get. And what we ultimately went with is she has this, it's called the Sound Shield, I guess is the best way of, of uh, referring to it. Uh, a company is called SE Electronics, uh, the product is a Reflection Filter X Portable Vocal Booth. And the idea is that the way it's pitched on on Sweetwater, which is the uh, music um, equipment site that I'm looking at, um, it is a portable acoustic treatment to reduce room ambience in untreated recording spaces. So it works pretty well as advertised. So it's this thing that kind of wraps around the back of the microphone, connects to the mic stand. Um, so she has one of those. Behind her, against the wall, she has a heavy curtain, like we talked about earlier as well, mm-hmm. and so that helps dampen the sound that way. Uh, and she's using this SM7B um, dynamic sure vocal mic or microphone. It doesn't have to be a vocal mic, but she is next to a window, so whenever the trash pickup comes or if there's a motorcycle or something like that, you know we've got to stop. Yeah. So you deal with what you have, and I think she's a pretty good example of a successful home setup as well as as is, as as is yours, Jonathan.
0: Yeah. If you if you listen. Back to um, some of the episodes that we recorded before we moved to Pont City Market, there was a brief period where we were set up in an office, uh, uh, like an actual. It wasn't designed to be an audio recording studio, but it was an office at the old uh, uh, office space in Buckhead that shared a a window facing Peachtree or near Peachtree, and. If you listen carefully to some of those old podcasts, not just tech stuff, but all the other ones we record at how stuff works, you might occasionally hear a little high pitched noise and wonder what that was. And that was Baton Bob. Mm,
2: b- there was also sirens. Those were the bane of our existence. Yeah. So si-
0: we sirens place. we would stop for. Like we, if we heard a siren, we oh, would whistle? just stop. The you talking about the
2: whistle? The whistle. Baton Bob. Yeah. yeah.
0: Baton Bob is a, a kind of a fixture here in Atlanta. He is quite the character. And, um, uh, often can be seen marching up and down the various streets of Atlanta in a tutu and twirling a uh, baton and blowing a whistle. And he's a smile ambassador. I love Baton Bob. Absolutely love him. Great guy. Uh... Not fantastic to have to record a podcast when you're hearing him whistling up and down the street.
2: Yeah, talk about DIY setup. We had those windows covered over with – I made these panels out of that Pink Panther foam insulation for construction. Yeah. And I nailed them and stapled them to – pieces of luon and uh, then had them attached to the window to cover them over and then on top of that we had this bright red um acoustic foam in sh- in sheets that yep. we you know stapled on top of that and it still didn't block out well and it we those high we, frequencies
0: we couldn't do anything permanent because that that wasn't something we were allowed to do in that right. space it wasn't meant to be a a recording studio so we were just doing the best with what we had Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was difficult. So it can be a challenge, but, uh, the stuff is out there. It's not like, like Noel was saying, it's not necessarily cheap. You can do some relatively inexpensive things to limit, uh, sound issues, but obviously you get what you pay for. The more that you are able to spend on that, uh, but do your research, but the more you're able to spend on that, the, the better result you are going to get in general. Just make sure that whatever outlet you're going with is highly rated. You know, don't just hire a general contractor and, and go with that because that's probably not going to give you the result you want. But obviously, uh, you know, they, these are things that people in all sorts of, of, uh, jobs and, and positions, uh, worry about, whether it's professional recording artists, whether it's podcasters like us, home podcasters, you just want to record a demo. I mean, these are the sort of things you got to think about. So. Thank you very much for writing in and requesting this episode. And Noel, thank you for joining me today. Usually, you're on the other side of that window we were talking about.
2: It's true. It's nice to nice to pass through.
0: Yeah, it's it's great to be on this side once in a while and not stay so long that the room gets super stuffy. Uh, this that's one of the things that this room in particular it, it does get a little warm now. We we fixed the stuff you should know, podcast room, because it w- used to get blisteringly hot, and now it gets very cool there, and now the opposite seems to happen here. But I'm afraid to ask for anything, because I don't want to end up getting gale force winds (laughs) into the podcast studio. But guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, you have anything you want to comment on uh, for this episode, send me a message. The email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is techstuff hsw And I will talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything.